Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Renewal and revival are always preceded by a great movement of prayer among God's people. In this series, let's encourage one another in our individual prayer lives as we learn to pray together in one voice. In this week's episode, we'll examine how Moses prayed through discouragement in our series, Praying Together Through. Here's Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters. Good morning, Brookwood. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And today we are going to continue our series on what it means to become a praying church. And that series is called Praying Together Through. How many people have recovered from last week's message? You doing okay? You know, last week we talked about praying together for the unity of the church. And we did pray together. We pray that God, we're going to put it up here in case you were not here or as a reminder, we prayed that God would bring us unity in our praise. That he would give us unity through God's protection from the evil one. And we're going to talk more about that today. We also prayed that he would give us unity with Christ's personality. And he would do that by pruning us through the truth of his word, right? We also prayed that he would give us unity in his purpose for us. And when the church is unified, praying continually in one voice, what happens? Revival. So I'll ask you again this week. Do we want to see a revival in the upstate? Yes. Do we want it to start in this room? Yes. Yes then we must be willing to have God remove all of the obstacles, all the things in our lives and in our church that prevent us from having this kind of unity. If we're going to have this kind of unity, we have to be willing to let God strip out everything that prevents that. And what do you think is the biggest threat to unity in the church? What do you think causes the most division in the church? Politics is a good answer. Racism Racism does. Pride, people, that's that's exactly right. All of these things are correct, but they all come from one thing, being self-focused. The biggest threat to unity in church, the thing that causes the most division is being self-focused. My politics my race, my resources, my time, my plan, my way. And when we don't get our way, when things don't go the way that we want them to, we become discouraged where God has us. Listen, we cannot hear God's direction for our lives or for this church if we are continually dwelling in disappointment for where He has us right now. So for revival to come, we need to recognize our disappointment. We understand, we have to understand what makes us become discouraged. And then we need to pray together through those disappointments. The church must pray together through disappointment into trust. Through disappointment into trust. Disappointment 
with not getting what we want into trust for God's plan, God's will, God's purpose, and God's blessings. Let's be honest. Who here has ever felt disappointed or discouraged with where God had you in your Christian walk? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not holding my hand up to model. I'm holding it up for me. God's plan rarely unfolds the way we want it to. And I've never seen it unfold on the schedule I want it to. And when we choose to live in a place of discouragement, and make no mistake, it is a choice. We choose to be discouraged. When we live in that place of discouragement, that's what the enemy will prey on. Satan will use our disappointments and our discouragement to create discontent and division in the church. Now, Satan doesn't need to work very hard for us to be disappointed and discouraged. We can get there all of our, on our own. But once we're there, the enemy will use it to create division. So if we believe that God has a plan for Brookwood Church, do we? Yes. And if we believe that revival is coming, do we? Yes. Then we have to be willing to identify the enemy's tactics so that we understand his tactics and then work through our disappointments, surrendering our desires for God's plan. So today we're going to look at a prayer from Moses. Last week we looked at a prayer from Jesus. This week we're going to look at a prayer from Moses, and it's his prayer of discouragement. A prayer he prayed in a place of deep discouragement and disappointment. It's in Numbers chapter 11. So you can turn or you can swipe there in your Bibles. It's on page 123 if you're using the Bibles available here at Brookwood. 123, Numbers 11. And as you do that, as you turn there or swipe there, let me just give you a little warning about today's message. Remember last week when we got all in groups and we prayed for God to prune this church through the truth of his word? Well, this passage has some pretty big pruning shears. But addressing these stumbling blocks now will prepare us for next week when we learn how to seek God's direction and see miracles in our church. How many people want to learn how to hear God's direction in their life and for the church? How many people want to see miracles through Brookwood Church? Well, then we have to be pruned. We have to be pruned in this area so that we can experience the miracles later on. Last week, we talked about setting our goal, what we were trying to do in this movement. Next week, we're going to talk about how to hear God's direction, how to see the miracles. But we can only get there when we are willing to come together and look at what prevents it. Revival is always preceded by a movement of prayer. But revival is also always preceded by a movement of pruning. We must see a movement of prayer, but we also must see a movement of pruning from our people. So everybody with me? Are we ready for some pruning? You don't seem excited about that. You know what? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
And as we look at all that is going around this world, we know that there are some who don't have access to your word or who are persecuted if they come in contact with someone who sees them with your word. And we thank you that your word is living. So even as we are pruned by the truth of your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us a focus on the work that you are doing and the great fruit that you will yield through us as you prune us. We thank you that you are a God who refines us, and we give you praise in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're in Numbers 11. Let's set the scene. The Israelites have left Egypt. They're out in the wilderness, and things are not going well in the Israelite camp. Not at all. The foreigners that came with them out of Egypt are causing discontent. The Israelites just have a bad attitude because they have a bad attitude. And God just had to destroy the outskirts of their camp. So this is not a good week for Moses or for the Israelites. And Moses is filled with disappointment. Moses is filled with discouragement. And the Israelites are complaining about everything. What are they complaining the most about? Food. Yes. Look at Numbers 11, starting in verse 5. This is the Israelite speaking. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Mm. Now what's the manna that they're talking about? Bread from heaven. Yes, it actually came down like a resin. It looked like a seed and then they would put it in a mortar and they would make it into cakes. But it was food that miraculously appeared every morning with the morning dew. They would just go out. They're out in the wilderness. There's no way to get food. And every day, God would provide this miraculous food that just appeared. Well, they don't want the food God's been miraculously providing anymore. They want the free fish and meat and melons that they got in Egypt. But was any of that free? No, they were slaves. They got whipped before they got their free fish. They had to carry giant stones and work until their hands bled to get their free fish. Their perspective has been warped. Skip down to verse 10. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Now already some of us in this room feel uncomfortable, right? The Lord was extremely angry. Does God get angry? Yes. Listen, one of the reasons that we see so much self-focus and selfishness in the church today, one of the reasons that there's so much division in the Western church is because the modern church has mostly shied away from teaching on the wrath of God. God is wrathful against sin, against disobedience, against cruelty. 
So as we look at God's response to them here, we have to remember and we must remember how severely sin and disobedience must be dealt with and how severely God must deal with sin and disobedience. But so as not to be discouraged, you know what else we have to remember? Who now stands between us and the wrath of God? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus stood in between us and God's wrath. He took the wrath. He took the punishment. He took the suffering. He took the shame. He buried the guilt so that we could have unity with the Father. So we must remember both those things as we walk through this passage. So God is angry, extremely angry at the Israelites. Moses is extremely angry at them. And in his frustration and disappointment, Moses goes to God in prayer. Did you know that you can go to God in prayer with your disappointments and your discouragement? And in his prayer, in this prayer moment that we're going to study this morning between Moses and God, we'll see what disappointment and discouragement will breed inside the human soul if we allow it to. And we'll see how the enemy works in those things to oppress us. That way we can avoid it. Here's his prayer. Moses prays in verse 11. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore that you would give to their ancestors? Whew. Moses is not in a good place. So how does Moses respond to the Israelites whining? By whining. Yes, that's exactly right. He responds to their whining by whining himself. And who's he blaming? God, not the Israelites. He's blaming God. Here's the first danger and the first temptation from our enemy that we have to avoid when we are disappointed. Because if we let it, disappointment and discouragement leads to prideful whining. Well, we don't like that. Prideful whining. And why prideful? Because whining and complaining is always a self-focused response. Whining and complaining is always a self-focused response because it means that we've taken our eyes off from God. Someone's not acting the way I want them to. This is not how I wanted things to go. I'm not getting what I want. Our politicians aren't doing what I want or saying what I want. My church is not doing or saying what I want. I'm not getting what I want. And if revival is going to come, do we need to be God-focused or us-focused? Do we need to be seeking His plan or our own plan? His plan. So as we journey together in this movement of prayer, in these four weeks and beyond, the enemy will try to cause division and discontent 
by convincing us that the thing that God has asked us to do is unreasonable and that the hardship is too great. But listen, a large part, in fact, the greatest part of our witness to this broken world is how we respond to hardship. That's why it says in Philippians, it says this, do everything without complaining and without arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. The world is filled with crooked and perverse people who argue and complain. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Be the bright light. The world needs to see us moving through our hardships with purpose, not whining. That we're purpose-focused as we walk through hardship. So how do we avoid that prideful whining in our lives? Well, partially it's what we talked about last week. Through experiencing the truth of His Word, not just reading His Word, not just learning His Word, experiencing the truth of His Word, and then having unity with Christ and with one another. Remember what Christ prayed for us when He was handing our mission to us in that prayer last week. He said, I pray that they, speaking of the church to the Father, will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Here's the problem. Unity with Christ means submission to Christ. And if we're honest, we don't always want to do that, do we? Because it means giving up control. It means giving up what I want. It may even be recognizing that what I want is not good for me. See, whining comes from the belief that God has not done enough for you. It's a lack of trust in His plan. And like the Israelites, once we become disappointed with where God has us, we start desiring the pleasure of slavery over the journey to God's freedom. Once we become disappointed with where God has us, we start desiring the pleasure of slavery over the journey to God's freedom. So if prideful whining is self-focused and we don't want to be self-focused, what's the antidote? What's the antidote? What's that? Focus on others. That's a good answer. What's that? Christ-focused. That's exactly right. Because when we're Christ-focused, we will become others-focused. We have to be kingdom-focused. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you how much of what you need? Everything you need. We have to stop focusing on what we want to do and start focusing on what God is already doing. We have to remain focused on who God is 
and ask him how he wants us to provide and care for others, both individually and as a church. And when you're discouraged and you're disappointed and you don't know how to connect to what God is doing, you don't know how to connect to that, if you are feeling self-focused, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. Very simple. You just pray this. Lord, show me what you're doing today and how you want me to be part of it. Two questions. God, what are you doing today? Show me. Show me what you're doing today. And please, show me how I can be part of what you're doing. And that takes the focus off of ourselves and into the kingdom. Because when we're focused on being part of a larger, perfect plan, we have a humbled heart. And when we have a humbled heart, that allows God's power to work through us. But we forget that. We forget that the path to power through Christ is humility. And Moses has forgotten that. In this moment of weakness, Moses has forgotten that. Don't miss this transition. You remember the story of the burning bush in Exodus? Moses starts out at the burning bush rejecting his mission because he doesn't think he's worthy. Now he's rejecting his mission because he thinks he's too good for it. There's a lesson there for us. There's a warning there for us. Because once the enemy has you in a place of self-focused discontent, he will make you believe that you are all alone in your struggle. So the second danger we have to avoid from the enemy is this. Disappointment and discouragement leads to perceived isolation. Perceived isolation. Moses is discouraged and overwhelmed because he feels like he's carrying this huge burden all on his own. Verse 13. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. He feels alone. Now, is Moses really alone? What do you think? Is he really alone? No. It's a perceived isolation. It's a lie from the enemy that is designed to prevent him from seeking God and seeking healthy community. And he uses the same lie on us. He used perceived isolation to prevent us from seeking God and seeking out one another. But even though it's not true, even though he's not really alone, here's what's important to understand. It feels true. It feels real. And when we believe the enemy's lies, when the enemy's lies feel true, we behave as if they are true because it's what we have come to believe. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many people sitting here right now, how many people watching in our online campus feel alone right now? How many people are sitting at home thinking that God won't help you? 
How many of you believe you can't reach out to the church for help or that you can't reach out to one another for help? It's a lie. It's the lie. The enemy loves to make people feel alone in a crowded room because it amplifies their self-loathing. And without God's truth, without us experiencing the truth of God, we believe it. And without God's truth in this moment, Moses feels, and to him it's real, he feels alone and overwhelmed. And there are two reasons you might feel overwhelmed in what God gives you to do. Number one, you're taking on things that God never asked you to do in the first place. And number two, you're leaning on your own strength rather than God's. Those will always lead to being overwhelmed in your spirit. But Jesus said this, you're familiar with this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. My wife and I have been reading uh, a book together that's titled Soul Keeping. And yesterday we were reading together, or on Friday we were reading together, and it said, God never promised you an easy life. He promised you an easy yoke. But for some reason we keep trying to carry the burden ourselves. We would rather toil than be yoked to Jesus Christ. God has given Moses and the Israelites everything that they need for this journey. But as they look to themselves rather than God, they begin to lose trust in His promise. They begin to believe that the promise won't come true. So when we feel isolated, we must pray that God gives us a desire for healthy community because that helps break through that lie. And we must continue to pray for our church to have unity with God and with one another. And we have to guard against that fake sense of isolation because once the enemy has you feeling discouraged and self-focused and alone, then he'll make you hopeless. Once he has you isolated, it's a short step to hopelessness. And that will paralyze your faith. Disappointment and discouragement, if we allow it, leads to paralyzed faith. Paralyzed faith. And do you know why he does that? Because he's afraid of you. The enemy fears the power of your faith because it's stronger than him. And you know what he really fears? The idea of this church being unified in faith. That terrifies him, so he has to try to neutralize it. And here's the pattern. Make sure you understand this pattern so you can fight against it in your own life and go to God in prayer. This is his pattern. The enemy sows discontentment into our lives through our own disappointment and discouragement. He doesn't need our help. We don't need his help getting to disappointment and discourage. We can do that all on our own. But once we get there, he will sow in discontentment. And then he turns your attention to what you want rather than what God is providing. 
And then he isolates you from a healthy community. Now, he may very well plug you into an unhealthy community. But the more unhealthy the community that you are in is, the more alone you feel inside. It will feed into your loneliness. So he makes you feel isolated and alone. And then finally, his end game after that, he's, he makes you start doubting your faith. And we start doubting what God will do and that God even has a purpose for us. Look where it brought Moses, verse 15. If this is how you intend to treat me, God, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me the misery. He's hopeless. And then in a few, passage, a few verses later when God says, don't worry, I'll provide meat, jump down to verse 21, Moses says, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, and yet you say I will give them meat for a whole month? Even if we butchered all of the flocks and the herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Listen, does, does God need their livestock to give them meat? No. Does He need them to go fishing? Which is a weird thing to say anyway since they're in the desert. <laughs> he doesn't need them to butcher their animals. He doesn't need them to go fishing. But Moses, in this weakened state of faith, can only see a human solution. And since the human solution is impossible, then it must also be impossible for God. And if we're honest, how many of us have been in that place? How many of us have been in a place where you can't see the way out so you can't understand how God could provide one? God knows a way out. The more that we live our lives in disappointment and choose to stay in that disappointment, the less we trust God's plan and the less we expect Him to move. But look at the theme verse at the top of your outline. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will... I can't hear you. Act. God will move. God will act. God is waiting for us to trust Him so He can act. So Moses has raised two major issues of discouragement to God in this prayer. First, he can't manage these idiots by himself. That's, not, I, that's in the Josh translation. I think it's fair, though. And number two, he can't provide meat that they keep whining for. So how does God respond? How does God respond to Moses' prayer? Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and I will talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people alongside you, so you will not have to carry it alone. Now look closely at these verses. 
God is supplying Moses with people to help him. But what's he really offering through those people? Himself. Thank you, Ronnie. Oh, did you steal it from Michael? Oh, I th- I'll give you both 20 Brookwood points for participating. His presence. He's offering himself, right? This is what it says. I will meet you there. I will talk to you. I will put my spirit on them. Just like I put my spirit on you. God will work through other people. But the promise is his presence. Disappointment leads to whining and isolation and broken faith. But when we turn to God in trust, even if we don't do it well, because Moses is not doing a good job here, but when we turn to God in trust, it reveals his presence. Turning to God in trust, even if we do it badly, reveals his presence. Even in Moses' broken state, God responds with a promise of his presence. And he solves the problem by bringing Moses 70 people, not five, not ten, not a dozen. He sends them 70 people to help him. Actually, 72 if you keep reading. Two more will join in. He solves the problem. Even though Moses' prayer is not perfect. But then God turns his attention to the Israelites and their whining. And the outcome is not as pleasant. You ready? Verse 18. And say to the people, God says to Moses, Purify yourself, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried out, Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two or five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. Whew. Don't laugh too hard. It's coming back to you in a second. For you have rejected the Lord who is among you. They've rejected his presence. He offered them his presence too. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, is God angry because they asked for food? No, of course not. God was already providing for them. He was giving them everything that they needed. But they looked at his miraculous offering and they said, not good enough. There are some of us here today where God is doing miracles in your life and you don't see them. You don't see them because you have a heart that's saying not good enough. And because of that, you can't see the miracle. God isn't angry because they asked for food. God is angry because of their heart. God is angry because they rejected his love, his presence, and his path to freedom for them in exchange for the pleasures of the people who enslaved them. And if you keep reading, we don't have time today, but if you read into the next chapter, the Israelites 
get all this quail, and they end up gorging themselves on this so much quail, it leads God to send a plague through it. And a bunch of them die, and it says literally why they are still stuffing their mouths with meat. And then Moses had all of their bodies buried, and you know what he named the place? It's called the Graves of Gluttony. Or it can be translated, the Graves of Lust. This is a really difficult truth, but it's vital that we understand it. When we continually reject God's journey for us, the journey from shackles to freedom, when we continually push God for what we want rather than what He has promised, He will discipline us. And oftentimes, the way He will discipline us is by giving us exactly what we asked for and then allowing us to live in the consequences of what we chose over Him. I've lived that. And how did God get all this meat? Where did all this quail come from? Remember how Moses complained in verse 21 and 22. He said, even if we slaughter every animal that we have, even if we go fishing, it's not going to be enough. There's not enough. What did God say in verse 23? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. God doesn't need our plan to fulfill His purpose. But turning to God in trust not only reveals His presence, but also His power. Turning to God in trust reveals His presence and His power. Because God's power is not limited by man's vision. And then finally, just to recap, did Moses and the Israelites lack for anything that they needed to follow God's purpose for them or to fulfill God's promise to them? Were they missing anything? What? No, they had everything they needed. So why couldn't they see it? They couldn't see it because they were self-focused instead of kingdom-focused. They became self-focused instead of kingdom-focused. But when we learn to trust His plan instead of our own plan, we start to see His provision everywhere. He's providing for us in ways that we are not recognizing because our hearts are not right. His provision is everywhere. When we open our eyes, we will see His work all around us. And even if we don't do it perfectly, as I said, turning to God in trust reveals His presence and His power and His provision. But how do we get to that place of trust? That's the tricky part, right? It's easy to say, trust God. Just trust God. It'll be fine. But how do we get there? Well, we learn to not only seek His direction, 
But in the unity that we've been talking about, we learn to expect His guidance. You stop making your own plans when you expect Him to answer and give you a plan. We're going to talk about that next week. But the first step is actually in this text. How do we get to trust? The first step is here in the text. What is the biggest difference between Moses' whining and the Israelites' whining? What's the difference between the two? What's that? Moses whined to God. That's exactly right. The Israelites whined about God. Moses took his whining to God. And you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to do it right. You can be honest with God when you are discouraged, when you are disappointed. You can be honest. You can yell and you can shout at God. Some of the most intimate moments I've had with God is when I went into the prayer with a bad attitude. You can be honest with God and yell at God, but then you have to start taking your eyes off from your circumstances and turn them to who God is. That's the, pa- that's the pattern in, in the Psalms. Every time you see a psalm of anguish, David will come at God with everything he's got, anger, disappointment, discouragement. Then he turns his eyes to worshiping God, and suddenly his problems either get solved or don't need a solution because his, perce- his perspective has changed. Listen very carefully to me. This is very important. If you leave this message feeling guilty or with shame, thinking that you're a bad Christian, just because you get discouraged, then you have heard the wrong message. God will meet you in your disappointment. God will meet you in your discouragement. But as we learn to cling to God's plan rather than our own plan, then the life and the influence of this church will grow, and that is when we will begin to see revival. But we have to walk through this. God doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants us to come to Him with our disappointments, honestly, sincerely, and then allow Him to transform our disappointments into trust for His plan. But what would that look like? That's hard to imagine, right? If we, all of us, if the whole church, what would it look like if we all took the focus off of ourselves, took the focus off of our circumstances, and then submitted those circumstances to the greater purpose God has for us? What would that look like? And to be honest, I didn't have an answer to that question. I had no idea what the answer was to the question, and I was struggling with it. And I was, as I was wrestling with that question, what would it look like? A couple of days ago, I got a text sitting at my computer. I got a text from our special friends director, Angie. And she was forwarding me a text from one of our special friends. Coop, we call him Coop. Coop texts out a word of encouragement every day. He sends it out to a group of people. And he was gracious enough after I received that text to let me share it with you today because Coop answered the question. What would it look like 
if we all submitted our circumstances to the greater purpose God has for us. I think it would look like Coop's text. He wrote this. God's got my legs up in heaven with him. When I get to heaven, my wheelchair will be outside the gate. And the first thing I'm going to do is get up and run to Jesus and give Jesus a big hug and thank him for putting me in this wheelchair. And tell him that I enjoyed helping people understand about disabilities. And then he continued. And I enjoyed talking about Jesus with them and changing their lives because of it. I have some great friends because of it. Praise the Heavenly Father. And then after dropping that truth bomb, he just ends his text by saying, have a nice day. (laughs) Thank you, Coop, for letting me share that today. He's watching from home. Imagine the revival that would come if we all allowed God to give us that kind of heart. If we were more focused on our purpose than our circumstances. And I know these things are difficult. I know some of us in this room are facing difficult things, but we get there by encouraging one another and by praying together as a church. Isn't the outcome that that would bring worth praying for? We need to pray. And we need to continue to pray. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for these things. So just as we did last week, nobody get up yet, nobody leave. Just as we did last week, when I give you the signal, you're going to stand up. You're going to get into groups of three or five or whatever. It doesn't matter how big the group is. If you weren't here last week, you can just follow everybody else. If you see someone without a group, though, you invite them into your group. Nobody stands alone. And if you're watching us in the online campus, you please pray with us, either with your family or through the screen. And then once you're in your group, you pray however you want. You can't do it wrong. Pray in whatever language you want. Pray in multiple languages. Pray how the Spirit leads you, or pray for one of the points that we're going to put up here on the screen, and we're going to put it up here as well as in our online campus. First, we overcome our disappointment through worship and praise. Remember, unity and praise. So today we're going to praise God for His presence and His provision and His power. And when we feel self-focused, We need to pray that He reveals opportunities for us to provide and care for others. For those who feel isolated, we pray God brings us a desire for healthy community and unity. And when we have doubts, we pray together God will deepen our trust and faith in Him and then teach us to surrender our circumstances to Him. Let's pray together in one voice. Are you ready? We'll just pray a few minutes and then I will come back and close us out. Go ahead, stand up, get in your groups, and start praying. I'll come back in just a moment. If your group is still praying, don't let me interrupt. You just focus on your praying. But if your group is done praying, just give me your attention for just a moment. 
We're so grateful that you have been willing to pray together as a church, and we will continue to pray together as a church. We want to give you a couple of reminders. If you want to continue to pray throughout the week, unity comes not just on Sundays. It comes in investing in prayer in one another throughout the week. So in your outline, there is an expanded prayer guide on these points. So you can pray with your family, or you can pray with your community group, or pray with your friends, or even on your own. If you'd like to join the group of people who are dedicated to praying even just a few minutes every day, but dedicate yourself to praying for Brookwood Church every day, you can join our Watchers team by going to brookwoodchurch.org prayer and clicking on Watchers. And finally, I know that there are many people in this room who are struggling and suffering, and perhaps you need prayer, and we've been praying for the church today. But if you need prayer for you, we have pastors and care volunteers who will anoint you with oil, who will encourage, who will pray with you down front here after the service as well as in the Care Connection Room. Let's continue together to pray together and encourage one another and move forward to what God wants to see at Brookwood Church through revival and hope and outreach. I leave you with this short prayer today. Father God, for each person here, for each person on, online, and for myself, I pray that we would see your glory in such a way that it dissolves our disappointment and discouragement. Teach us how to build one another up in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the Praying Together Through series. If you like what you've been hearing, leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. To get connected at Brookwood, email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864 864- 688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. We're grateful you listened today. Have a great week.